first thing. Yeah. Father, uh, thank you for the day that you've given us, blessing us, watching over us. Lord, we just uh, pray for safety for all the members of the congregation here and all their travels and all the things that they need to do here, Lord. Lord, and especially for all the road conditions and everything else. Thank you for the snow and the rain, for we know that we need it in the spring. Lord, we just ask you to bless this time that we have together to gather in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lamentations 3.19-23 Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down, bowed down within me. But this is, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.
has certainly summed it up well. So did Jeremiah and Lamentations. We thank you, Lord, for your mercies, because they never fail. Your compassion never fails. Your grace never fails. And if you think about even this song, it talks about our forgiveness of sin. It talks about, you know, the seasons and how you provide for us as we're seeing you providing for us the water that we so desperately need. And Lord, we just thank you that every single day you're there for us. No matter what condition we're in, we're no, no matter what's happening, you know, we, we just thank you for that. And so we're here to worship you. May you again, you help us to put cares and concerns on the back burner. And may you speak to us and may we truly worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can say good morning, Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. And then, uh, So today, we're going to put two words together today that uh, you probably would never put together. Mercy, we understand mercy, so that's really the theme. The second word is from Deuteronomy 15, which is slavery. So I don't know if you'd ever think of putting mercy and slavery together, but we'll see that God did in, uh, in the scriptures, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So I thought that as... as there's a couple of songs here about God's mercy for us and how he takes care of us. And uh, this first one I like is, Indeed, in Christ he has truly set, our, set us free and our chains are gone. And then we'll go to how he sends angels sometimes to take care of us. Thank you. 
uh, as we started off with Lamentations, you know that your faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning. Your mercies in the sense that you have taken care of our sin. You sent Jesus to come and bear sin on a cross, which is still, every time we mention that, I mean, you think about that. What a marvelous truth that is. And, and you think about mercy. I mean, God saw us in, lost. He saw us, you know, on our way to hell. And he says, you know, I love you. And so love's going to provide a ransom. And that's what he did in Jesus. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he says, look, if you trust in me, if you believe in me, if you will give me your life, I will change you. I'll forgive you. I'll give you a hope. And as you live this life, when you're in trouble, when I see you need help, I'll send angels. And read the Hebrews 1, the Psalms. They come and they minister to us. They are his ministering spirits for us. And I like that line that every tear he bottles up. That's from Psalm 56, 8, where it says that God knows all of our difficulties. And he's keeping track, as it were. And he sends angels to help. Or he sends somebody to help. Or he's there to help. And so, Father, we thank you that, uh, you know, as we have gathered together, you have sent a lot of things to help us. For one, you know, you sent road crews to clear the roads so that some of us could get here. You have sent, uh, you know, we thank you for sending medical teams. We, we thank you that, well, I pray that Sharon's sister who fell and broke a hip and I think a leg, had surgery yesterday, so we pray that that went well. But we want to remember dear Sharon, she sees an oncologist on Thursday. And so we pray for that appointment. We pray that you'd work through this person, whoever it is. It's like an angel. Send angels to continually to care for dear Sharon and for the rest of us. You know, whatever we've got going on in our life, uh, there's, you know, it can be frustrating, it can be difficult, but God, you are there. You know, I, uh, we want to remember our missionaries, you know, uh, Nikolay there in Russia. And I, and, and I don't know, we haven't heard really what his condition is. He took over just, you know, at the end of last year. And uh, now that the war is a year on, you know, you can imagine how it's affecting the Russians. Especially since uh, they, they don't have the truth. We can just assume they don't have the truth. And so it's difficult. And then we think of the dear folks in the Ukraine. We think of the folks in, in, um, in, in, in Turkey and in uh, Syria. We think of the big, you know, uh, here, in our here in our country, a little bit in the Northeast, you know, the great spill, chemical spill. We think of all kinds of things where there's no end of prayer. But we are thankful that like Jeremiah, when we cry out because of the difficulties we're in, the hope we have is because of your mercies. And so as we sit here this morning, you know, with whatever is on our heart, whatever difficulties, you know, first of all, thank God for his mercy. It indeed never ends. And then just bring before him and say, Lord, you know, here's this situation. I need your mercy. Please help. Please help. Just spend a few quiet.
Oh Lord, you know we pray for our flock. We have Karen, uh, Susan. Susan is up in the snow. We pray for uh, Sharon. You know, in, in the whole uh, NAMI group. You know, they're on the other side of the county. You know, Karen's got a cold. Cliff is in Quincy, and so what all these needs, Lord, you know. But we are here, and I kept thinking about this song this week and singing it last night and this morning. Oh, God, you've given me life, and I thank you. I thank you for that. And so uh, with that in mind, Lord, we thank you.
Lord, we recognize the reason we're alive is because of you. You are the author of life. You are the taker of life. As Deuteronomy 32 says, you're the only one. And I know that can be hard to get our head around at times, but it's true. So Lord, today, as we are sitting here, thankful for the life you've given us, even with all the difficulties, we are thankful that in the midst of our difficulties, your mercy prevails. So help us see that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take your Bibles and go to Lamentations chapter 3. You know, as we're in Deuteronomy. It's a book where, where God is instructing his children on how they are to live in the promised land. Remember, he's dealing with uh, probably, you know, a couple million people. And you know how people are. You get people together. And, and since, you know, we are not innately good. Yes, we are not as bad as we could be, but uh, there's going to be difficulties. So God is arranging for them the law on how to live. And unfortunately, they didn't do well. They disobeyed God for centuries. And uh, eventually they end up in captivity in Babylon because of their sin. And so Jeremiah writes as he watches or he sees the consequences of their sin as God judged. And that's why he's called the weeping prophet. He's weeping over his nation and his city, Jerusalem. So we pick it up. This is the famous part of, of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 19. He's crying out to God, and he says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. And he said, God, look at, look at our nation, and therefore look at me. And I thought, you know, really this applies, this applies to everybody. We could be saying, oh, God, Remember my affliction today, what I'm going through, and my wandering, my difficulties, the wormwood and bitterness, because surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Difficulties, and we're going to see a difficulty coming up. By the way, of all the difficulties that we may be going through, none of us, as far as I know, are slaves today. Well, that's the difficulty we're going to be looking at in Deuteronomy 15. Difficulties arose such as affliction, wandering, wormwood, with bitterness. Uh, we're going to see that part of how you became a slave is, uh, is maybe you got yourself in trouble and this was how you couldn't pay for it, so you were sold to the person you offended. Or you got yourself in such debt that you sold yourself to the person you owed so that you could work it off. That definitely was a difficulty. If I were a slave losing my freedom, which means you can't get up when you want to get up. You get up when the master says to get up. You don't wear what you want to wear. You wear what the master tells you to wear. The same thing with eating, with everything. So slaves were under the control of the master. And you could say, oh my goodness, talk about affliction, wandering, and wormwood. And he's saying, oh, my soul remembers it, it very well. So what do you do? How do you survive those kind of situations? 
Well, he says in verse 21 of Lamentations 3, This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. And you know, you scratch your head and you say, What hope in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your wandering, in the midst of the wormwood and bitterness? And as we go to Deuteronomy 15, you can say, What hope for a slave? What hope? Verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. And his, in a better translation, would be mercies never fail. Even when you are remembering your affliction and your wanderings and your wormwood and your bitterness, you have hope you remember God who obviously is bigger than all of that and you remember his mercies his mercies never cease therefore you have hope having said that let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 15 and you'll see that uh, God did not invent slavery uh, slavery was around way before the law even before Moses, uh, slavery was institutionalized as a uh, as far back as 3500 BC. And slavery features in the Mesopotamian Code of Hammurabi, dated at 1750 BC. When we now remember, you're, we're counting down BC. We're counting to zero. So Exodus 21 is one of the chapters for. Uh, we'll be looking at, and Deuteronomy 15, we're about 1406 B.C. So, you know, there's a couple hundred years slavery has been around. In fact, slavery had been around probably a lot longer than that. So they did not invent this. Slavery was something that was very common in the ancient world. You went and you conquered a people, and what did you do? You took the conquerors, or the conquered became your slaves. And sometimes it was absolutely brutal. And slavery throughout history has been absolutely brutal. But there was slavery in the Old Testament. And I tell you, the mercy of God is that he regulated it. Now watch this. And, and you'll see, really, to some degree, the slaves had it better than the free person, to some degree. So we're, we find ourselves in Deuteronomy 15 as God is setting up his people and how to live. And he said, you take care of the poor, you forgive the debt in the seventh year. If your brother comes to you and has a need, you give it to him. You don't worry about the fact that this is the sixth year. If he comes and he says, look it, I need a hundred bucks, you loan him a hundred bucks. Or you say, wait a minute, the year of redemption is next year, the seventh year. Why don't you come back the eighth year and I'll loan it to you? Because then I got six years to get my money back instead of realizing I'll never get it back. Remember, God said, don't do that. Otherwise, the slave or the person will cry out to God. And I just, I just love verse 10. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. You say, why? I, I'm going to give him. He's asking for all this stuff in the sixth year, the seventh year, I know. He doesn't have to pay it back. What a bummer. 
God says, don't think that way. Don't think that way. Why? Because for this thing, the Lord your God, and this becomes a theme again, will bless you. If you are obedient, the Lord will bless you in all your undertakings. So don't worry about it. Just follow directions. In fact, you remember back in verse 5. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe his commandments, which I am commanding you, then the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you. And he'll provide for you. We talked about that last week. So in helping the poor, this passage continues. Verse 12. If your kinsman, a Hebrew, man or woman, so I'm in Deuteronomy 15, verse 12. Is sold to you. Then he shall. Now you say, well, that's a bummer. That's lamentations. I, I got into trouble. You know, it, 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 Exodus 22 says if you break into a house, steal stuff, you can't pay it. <coughs> You're sold as a slave. So I've gotten myself in some difficulty or I'm in, in debt and I have to sell myself. That's the bummer. Where's the mercy? Listen to this. This is God's direction. If a, your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you for six years. There's the hope. I am not a slave forever. Six <clears throat> years. And then you shall set him free. I mean, I mean, that's the great hope. God is saying, look, I understand the way things are. I understand you may get yourself in a jam, and you may find yourself being sold into slavery, but I'm going to regulate it. It's only for six years. Again, I, I just love this. God is the God of second chances. He says, look, if you got yourself in the trouble, learn. <clears throat> Let's not do this again. So mercy in the midst of slavery, six years. And then it gets better. It gets better. He says, when you send him out, you shall set him free, verse 13. You shall not send him away empty-handed. And again, you're saying, God, you've got to be kidding me. This guy is a slave because he wouldn't pay me back. So, yes, he's a slave for six years. And he says, hey, but remember, this is a Hebrew man or woman. So this is family. This is family. Here's how you treat family. It was different for aliens or foreign people. In Leviticus 25, it says that if you went and took slaves from foreign lands, a people that were not your own, they were your slaves permanently. permanently. There was no release for them. But for God's people, he is showing his mercy. And he says, in six years, you set them free. And when you set them free, you load them up. You don't send them out empty-handed. Verse 14. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock. Notice the word liberally. You don't give him the sickly lamb that you didn't know what to do with. You don't give him half of a lamb. You furnish him liberally. From your flock, from your threshing floor, that would be grain. From your wine vat, you give 
You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. As God has blessed you, here's the principle. Give. And then God has said, I'll bless you again. It's just a biblical principle. Give, and it shall be given unto you. So he says, look, and as the Lord has blessed you, when you send your slave out, he served you for six years. Now load him up. Because, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Oh, that was tough. That was not benevolent. That was more than six years. They were there some 400 years. 400, 430, but it appears 400 under slavery. And you remember that they, they were abused. I mean, they, they were making straw. They were not making straw. They were making bricks from straw. And uh, they had a certain quota to, ma to make. Remember, Moses would go on the, on the instruction from God to Pharaoh and say, let my people go out here to worship me. And Pharaoh says, oh, yeah? You guys are just trying to be lazy. So I tell you what, you guys have to keep the same amount of quota for bricks, but you've got to go get your own straw, which would have made it very, very difficult. And you remember the reason Moses had to flee Egypt because he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, which was typical. So this is different. God is showing his mercy and how he cares for people. He says, remember how you were in Egypt. Don't do that. It's even better yet. Verse 16. Shall come about after six years, if your slave who got to be a slave to you, either because he was in debt, couldn't pay, and he was sold to you, or he did something wrong and he's paying it off because he didn't have money to, to reimburse you. That's all in Leviticus 25. It says, at the end of six years, to come about, if he says to you, when you say, hey, here's your stuff, here, you know, I've loaded up your wagon, you're free. <clears throat> but if he should say to you, Verse 16, I will not go out. <clears throat> and you're thinking, are you nuts? Look it, this is God's mercy. Six years, now you're free. But the slave may say, oh, you know, I don't want to go out from you. Why? Because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. That's the way God intended their slavery to be done. If you were sold as a slave, you were not to be mistreated. You were not to be dishonored. You were not to be looked down upon. You were not to be beaten or taken advantage of. Really, you were to be part of the family. So much so that at the end of six years, when the slave had paid his debt and was free to go, he says, you know what? I don't want to go. I'd like you here. In fact, reading about slavery in the New Testament, you know, slave, there was a, at the one point, it's estimated 90% of the Roman Empire were slaves. And yes, there were their abuses, and you can read about that, but everything I read this week about slavery in the New Testament said, you know, really, some of these slaves had it pretty good. And, and they could get an education, uh, for example, you know, uh, a free labor, well, I get that's New Testament. I don't want to get you confused. 
But, but just say that the, the slave says, you know, this is not bad. I have a roof over my head. I know where my meals are coming from. In fact, you know, they, they may have lived, usually they lived either in the master's house or there was a, a section off of it where they lived and they ate well, they were clothed. And, and he says, you know, why do I want to leave? So what are you supposed to do? Kick them out anyway? It's tough, man. Your time's up. See you later. No. Verse 17, you shall take an awl. You know, that's a long thing with a sharp point. Pierce it through his ear. Literally. You're to go and you're to pierce his ear into the door. You go to your door frame. This was symbolic. You don't want to go. I'm going to pierce your ear. I'm like nailing you to my wall. He didn't stay there, but it was symbolic to say, you're going to stay here forever. We're now family. Pierce his ear. For he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So the Lord your God shall bless you in whatever you do. See, there's that blessing. you got to say, look at this guy got himself into trouble. You take care of it. Six years after six years, he goes. You load him up. If he wants to stay, you let him stay. And just trust me. I'll take care of this. Trust me. But you see God's mercy? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Awesome. Verse 18. It shall not seem hard to you when you set him free. Say, you know, when seven years comes around and he's more than happy to leave. Because he just wants his freedom. He says, don't, don't let that seem, don't let it be hard to you when you load him up with all this stuff liberally. Don't let that be hard to you. For he has given you six years with double service of a hired man. So the Lord your God will bless you in whatever you do. God, again, as you say... Look at folks, would you just trust me? Yes, we've got this very difficult situation where somebody has been has been uh, humiliated. You can imagine the humiliation of being a slave, of being able not to pay, getting into trouble, being a slave. But you notice how God is even taking care of that and being merciful and saying, look, at he's there for six years. And after that, you send him out liberally. If he wants to stay, the reason he would stay is because you have treated him so well. What mercy? What mercy? For Hebrew slaves. I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Because it appears there's another form of this that is a little different. And uh, at least it so appears to me in Matthew Henry. It's interesting. As you read about this, it can be very difficult because... You'll see in a second. So in Deuteronomy 15 and in Exodus 21, six years, the Hebrew slave is gone. Key words, both passages, if he is sold to you. If he is sold to you, it's six years, seven years, you let him free. In Leviticus 25, we have, and remember this was all written about the same, well actually, Leviticus is the law. Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers were written before Deuteronomy, and Moses is rehearsing what's gone on. Leviticus, God gave to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai 
getting the Ten Commandments. So he got more than the Ten Commandments. And this is part of what he got. Talked about the seventh year again. You're to let the land go fallow. You're to forgive debts. You're to do all those things. And how all that pans out, I don't know. I wasn't there in reading commentators. It can be a little confusing. But that's, don't miss the main point. God is being gracious and merciful. Then it talks about, in verses 8 and following, the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, everything basically went back to zero. Verse 10, you shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. So... If you got poor and you had to sell part of your property to somebody, in the year of Jubilee, it returned to you. Because remember we said last week, God gave sections of the land as an inheritance to different tribes. It was very important to God. But if you lost part of that for, some, for whatever circumstances of life, the year of Jubilee, it went back to you. It went back to you. It gets a little interesting when you get down verses 29 and 31 because it talks about if, if you have sold uh, a house in, in uh, let me get this right uh, and it's within a walled city and uh, at the year of Jubilee the uh, all that is within the walled city passes permanently to its person uh, persecutor, purchaser Throughout his generations, it does not revert in the, in the day of Jubilee. Interesting. Something does not revert in Jubilee as if you have done that, and it's within a walled city. In other words, for us, it'd be like it's in Sacramento or someplace, a city. If it's out in the country, it reverts back. I know that was just, I just thought that was interesting. So here we go. God, merciful to the poor. In verse 35, he says, If your countryman becomes poor in means, and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him. Interesting. Like a stranger or a soldier, that he may live with you. You adopt him. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God. He's your brother, he's part of the family. Whatever you loan him is not with interest. It's just a straight loan. You are to revere your God, and your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for grain. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. In other words, I'll take care of you. Now watch what happens then. Verse 39. If a countryman of yours becomes so poor, with regard to you, that he sells himself to you. And I think that's the main difference. The other two were sold. This guy sells himself to you. You shall not subject him to a slave service. This is a voluntary thing. You know, you, you, you treat him well. He shall be with you as a hired man. He's an employee. As if he were a soldier. He shall serve you. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. So 
he's not freed every six years or every seven years, if he sells himself to you and he becomes this hired man, he's with you to the year of Jubilee. He shall then go out from you back to uh, his, he and his sons with him and shall go back to his family that he may return to the property of his forefathers. For you are my servants whom I brought you out from the land of Egypt. They are not to be sold in a slave sale. In other words, not to anybody else. You shall not, verse 43 is what I want you to understand. You shall not rule over him with severity. Whether he's a slave or a hired hand, you don't rule over him with severity, but you are to revere your God. As for male and female slaves whom you may have, you may acquire male and female slaves from the pagan nations that are around you. Then, too, it is out of the sons of the sojourners who live as aliens among you that you may gain acquisition, and out of their families who are with you, whom you will have produce, produced in your land, they also may become your possession. Just hang on. You may even bequeath them to your sons after you and receive them as a possession, and you can use them as permanent slaves. So for the foreigner, there was no release. But still, but in respect to your countrymen, the Lord, the sons of Israel, you shall not rule with severity over one another. And, and as you read this, you got to just, uh, you know, i, I got to believe that God would say, look, you even treat the foreigners well, but, but it's, your, it's your blood relative that gets freed every seven years. It's your blood relative that has the, the, uh, the redemption at the year of Jubilee. God's mercy. So, I mean, you see that? How slavery, very difficult situation. And if you were a slave owner, you were to be kind and you were to revere the Lord and you were not to treat them severely. And at the end of seven years, if they're a Hebrew slave that was sold to you, you released them and you sent them out with all kinds of stuff. And if you were so good to them, he wants to stay. You pierce his ear to your door frame, and he's son and a daughter. Man, I, I don't know about you. I call that mercy. So then I was thinking, God's mercy, how does that apply to us in the New Testament? And by that I mean in 2022. So find Romans chapter 6. 2000, that was last year. Thank you, dear. 23. 2023. There were slaves in the New Testament. In fact, probably a lot of most of the church were slaves. As you read the New Testament, you will find they were never told to rebel. They were never told to, uh, to gripe and groan. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, look, if you can be free, do it. But if not, just accept that and honor God. And we'll see in a minute a little bit more about that. Romans chapter 6. Well, let me read you this quote from Matthew Henry, just so you know that I didn't make any of that up. With the difference between a bought slave being freed every seven years and, a, I guess, a volunteer slave selling himself year of Jubilee, that appears to be the way it goes. In Matthew Henry, 
actually was the most concise. He says, a native Israelite, if sold for debt or for a crime, was to serve but six years and to go out the seventh. If he sold himself through poverty, both his work and his usage must be such as were fitting for a son of Abraham, and masters are required to give to their servants that which is just and equal. We'll read that in a minute in Colossians 4. He says, at the year of Jubilee, the servant shall go free, he and his children, and shall return to his own family. So it got a little confusing, and, and actually reading the commentators wasn't a whole lot of help. The main point is God's being merciful one way or the other. But how does that apply to me living in Murphy's or wherever you live on February 26, 2023? Romans 6. Listen to this. Paul says, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? United. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What he is simply saying is that Jesus died for sin, was buried and rose again the third day, and now he lives forever. If you trust Christ, if you give him your life, he'll do the same thing for you. In other words, he will look at you with your debt that you have piled up and say, it's not there anymore because he sees you dying with Jesus. And then if we die with him, we shall be raised again. Now watch what he, what he continues to say. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin, better translation would be, would rendered powerless. Not done away with, but rendered powerless. So that we would, end of verse 6, no longer be slaves to sin. Because that's where we all are by birth. We are slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So therefore, do not let, or better translation, stop letting sin reign in your mortal body so that you would obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And for your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under sin, and it once was your master. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one who you, 
of whom you obey. That, typical, you got a master, you obey the master, you're a slave of the master. Paul is saying whatever it is that is controlling you is your master. Whatever you obey is your master. Either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed and have been freed from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, this is what he meant. If you do that, it's all his death is credited to your account and now you are freed from sin and you become slaves of righteousness and that's the way that God wants us to live and he wants us as we live that way to have a life demonstrating mercy that's what God did for us Ephesians 2 1 through 4 you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked, according to the course of the power of this world, enslaved to various lusts. Now, that's Titus. But anyway, you know, walking according to the course of the power of the air, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we were slaves to sin. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, sent Christ, gives us faith, convicts our heart, changes our call that mercy and slavery. Mercy in spite of slavery. And then we're to live like our Savior. Matthew 5, 5, blessed rather, Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall see mercy. You'll remember in Luke chapter 10, one of the religious leaders of Israel, a lawyer, meaning an expert in the Mosaic law, was trying to trick Jesus. Well, he actually, he asked a great question to start with. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? John 10, 25. And Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer says back, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But well, now he's got a problem because he knows he can't do that or he doesn't want to do that. So he asked, wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was polite and said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and he went away leaving him half dead. You get the picture. And by chance a priest of God the nation of Israel was going down on that road and when he saw him beaten and left half dead he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, another ruler of Israel, who came to the place and saw him pass by the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. These, 
This is like the McCoys and the Hatfields. So, you know, the, the Hatfield guy is in the gutter, and the McCoy guy comes along, and he helps him while the other two just keep on walking. Compassion. Mercy. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put, the, put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, will. when I return, I will repay you. Then Jesus asked the question to the lawyer. Which of these three, the Samaritan, the Levite, or the priest, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hand? The lawyer says, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So two things this morning I remember with all that we've said. Number one, God's mercies are new every morning. Even in the midst of slavery, he regulated it. So for some people, they chose to stay. And he wants us to show mercy. This is how he wants us to live. If we should be in a position of authority, and this would include employers, parents, husbands, whoever wants you to be merciful. You remember in Matthew 20, the disciples eagerly anticipating Jesus setting up the kingdom. They believed that. It's true. He will. He hasn't done it yet, but he will. And they thought it was going to happen right then. And so, being typical people, they were lobbying to see who would get the chief seats. So remember, James and John send their mother. And, and, and Jesus says, well, what can I do for you? She says, well, grant me this favor that on your right and your left, put my two sons. And he says, it's not for me to decide that. That's the father. And then he says to the disciples... Listen, verse 25, Jesus called uh, them to himself, the disciples, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. In, in, in other words, with great force and severity. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become a servant among you shall be, who be to become great among you shall be, your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Learn to serve other people. It's interesting that in, and don't look this one up, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God is chastising the leaders of Israel for what they didn't do, or what they did. And, and he talks about them as the shepherds, which they were. And, and uh, well, verse 2 of, of Ezekiel 34, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Here's why. Verse 4, those who are part of why. Those who are sickly you have not straightened, strengthened, the disease you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But, because in essence, your master, you're the slaves, but with force and severity, you dominated them. God's not happy. He says, that 
haven't you read Deuteronomy and Leviticus and how you're to treat even your slaves? Come to the New Testament, and like I said, probably the great part of the church were slaves. And just one reference, Colossians chapter 4. Paul says, verse 22, Slaves, in all things, obey your masters on earth, not with external service, but as those as merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily for the Lord rather than for men. Realize, as God's slaves, Romans 6, he's our master. Everything we do should reflect him. So, Honestly, when I am tempted to take a shortcut somewhere in my service for him, that always comes to my mind. Look at nobody else may know, but you know, Lord. And if I'm trying to serve you, and I thought of this, I need to do this. Because I'm serving you. And then he says to masters, chapter 4, verse 1, Grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too, have a master in heaven. So I hope that you see this is what God wants from us, his mercy. Well, I guess we need to mention James chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Biblical principle. God in his mercy, even with the situation of slavery that arose in the Old Testament said, look at this is how I wanted to operate. And you see mercy. I just see mercy, mercy, mercy. And you are to so treat your slave that he says, you know what? I'm better off with you. I don't want to leave. So having said all that, two questions this because what you were to do if you didn't want to leave is you say, Master, I love you, and it fares well with me with you. So I'm giving you my life. That's what he was doing, what he or she was doing. I give you my life, and here is a symbol. We're going to stick your ear up there and do that, and I don't know whether they put an earring in it or whatever they did, but I'm giving you my life because I'm better off with you. Question number one. Have you done that with Jesus? I mean, really. Have you looked at your life and, and said, Lord, I've lived my life and it's a mess. And I read about Jesus and what he did for me and what he will do for me. And so here I am, you know, I, I put my ear up against your wall, hammer away. And then if we've done that, have you forgotten that you did that? We need to remember who we belong to. Second, are you the kind of person showing mercy and kindness to everybody that people would say, you know, I want you around. I, I like being around you because, you know, it, it's well with you. Now, I was thinking of Philemon, a, a whole slave story in the New Testament, and how Paul says to Philemon, I thank God for you because the, the hearts of the saints, literally the bowels of the saints, are refreshed through you, brother. Are you the kind of person that when people are around you, they're refreshed? And they say, I don't want to leave. 
it's like we it's possible if we come to Christ and let him forgive us first and then mm -hmm. if we just say Lord take over take over and produce in me these kind of things and if we do that if we are his remember Romans 5 5 the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit then God begins to change us, and all of a sudden we find ourselves being different. And I don't know, one of the greatest assurances of salvation, I think, is when you realize you're doing something you would not do on your own. You would not normally, naturally not do this. Why am I not angry at that person? Why did I not do this or that? Why did I do that for that person? Well, you know why? It's the love of God working in you through you, out of you. So as we walk in the Spirit, obeying what He has said, trusting Him, like we read, don't, don't look at this as, no, so I will bless you. I'll take care of you and Him. So we walk in the Spirit. What does God produce in us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Father, I pray that we are those kind of people. But you know and we know that we're, no, we're not those kind of people on our own. Because we're enslaved to sin on our own. And uh, we're just caring for, number one, us. But Father, help us see through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word that our life is leading nowhere. And even if we do well in this life, you know, I, I, I watched a couple of videos this week of people that did very well and, and had all this great stuff and died. And then I thought, but what does it profit a man if he gains the world and forfeits his soul? I trust they were believers. If not, so what? And Father, I pray that we have so looked at you as the benevolent master who loved us enough to send Jesus to, to die on a cross for us. And it came and said, look it, if you will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, believe in me. Let me nail, you know, give me your life so I nail your ear to my door. And man, you know, guess what? My love will pour through you. My power will pour through you. And I will make I'll, I'll develop in you love, joy, peace, kindness like nobody's ever seen. And people will say, you know, I like being with you. Almost to a degree, figuratively, yeah, I'll nail my ear to your door. Father, make us those kind of people. Think about those truths. And then we'll close this morning. Think through Deuteronomy 15 and see how this works. See how well this fits.
I pray that that is true. I make that so with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.